0: This is the Kingdom Encounter Podcast with Glenn Blakeney. Mark chapter 6. I'm going to start reading at verse number 45. This is a story about Jesus walking on the sea and uh, how he calmed the storm. It's um, something I'm sure that if you've been a Christian more than uh, a month or two, you're familiar with this story. Uh, It's start at verse 45. Immediately, he made, notice that he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them, and he said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat. To them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that in the name of Jesus, we have revelation, understanding of the things that you want to say to us today. And so we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to take charge, to take control, that the words that are spoken would come from the heart of the Father and would speak into every situation for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. I'm actually going to be starting a new series on faith. And um, faith is something, obviously, that is very, very important. You know why? Because the Bible says in Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It says in the book of James, chapter 1, that if we don't have faith, we should not expect that we can receive anything from the Lord. Shouldn't expect, listen to that, guys, that if you don't have faith, if I don't have faith, don't expect to receive anything from God. That's what James said. James was very, very clear. It's so important to have faith. So we know that I'm sure most of us, all of us, aspire to have great faith. You know, we want to walk in this, this level of faith and, and confidence in God that we know no limitation, that we're not afraid of anything, that we can confront our fears and we can we can see every mountain moved and cast into the sea, no matter how lofty and obstructive it may be, because we have faith. In God, we have faith in His word, we have faith in His promises, and that 's something that we all want to experience and that 's certainly god 's plan right Jesus said in mark eleven twenty two through twenty four have faith in God for assuredly I say to you, whoever, whoever, so you can put your name in there." Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he asks. Therefore, I say to you, Jesus speaking, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe or have faith that you receive them and you will have them. Wow, what an amazing promise that God has given to us that anything is possible if we believe, if we have faith. That's what it says in Matthew 17, verse 21, that if we have faith, nothing will be impossible for us, that all things will be achievable in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, one thing we have to understand about faith is this, that the moment we're born again, we're not automatically fitted or kitted out with, with, uh, you know, this type of faith that can move mountains. It's not something that we just receive, and so we, from the day we're born again, uh, we just never doubt, we never vacillate, we never waver, we never struggle, we we don't fear. That's not the way it works. The Bible says that faith is like a seed. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul says this, each one of us has been given a measure of faith. The word that is translated measure is metron, and it literally means a determined extent, a portion measured off, or a measure or a limit. So there are limits. There's a, there's a, it's a portion, there's a measure of faith that we're given. We're not given everything. So what are we to do with our faith? Our faith must be developed. Our faith must be nurtured. And we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. I love the Amplified. Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and then the Gentile. Then in the next verse, he says, For in the gospel a righteousness which God ascribes is revealed, both springing from faith and leading to faith, disclosed through the way of faith that arise. Arouses to more faith. As it is written, the man who through faith is just and upright shall live and shall live by faith. Look at how many times the word faith is used in that verse. It's absolutely amazing. And what I love about what it says here in the amplified Bible is that faith actually leads to faith. Faith arouses more faith. It's kind of like money. You know if you have money, you can get more money. If you have capital, you can create more wealth, correct? If you have faith, then you can actually get more faith. And recognize that faith is a gift from God, Ephesians 2, verse 8. Faith is something that the Lord gives to us as a gift. Each one of us has been given a measure of faith, a deposit of faith, let's say a seed of faith. And it's our responsibility to nurture and to cultivate that faith. You know, a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people never develop their faith. And in fact, they actually see their faith, the measure they've already been given, they, they can even lose that. We can. If we don't use it, if we don't develop it, we can lose our faith. So it's very important that we understand this. So the Bible tells us in Matthew 17 verse 20 that all we have to have is faith as a mustard seed. Let me read it to you. For truly I say to you, if you have faith that is living and growing, now this is the Amplified, like a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to yonder place and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. So if you have faith, now it's very interesting that he's not really talking about the size of our faith, but he's talking about the quality of faith. In fact, in the Greek, he's saying, if you have faith as a mustard seed, and I love the comments that are made in the Amplified. What is that faith that's like a mustard seed? It's faith that is living, it is faith that is growing. Matthew 13, verse 31. He put another parable before them, Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So he's speaking here about the importance of seeing our faith grow. Our faith must continue to develop. It must become stronger. It must become greater. And how does God cause our faith to grow? Let's go to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. 4. Consider it pure joy. Say pure joy. Pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. One translation says that you may have perfect faith. It literally means fully developed faith, faith that is mature, faith that is complete. So how do we get to that place where we have faith as a mustard seed to we have faith that grows so strong that it's like a tree? We've got to go through testing. We've got to go through testing. You cannot have a testimony without a test. You will not have a message without a mess. There will not be victory without a battle. You cannot have triumph without a trial. That's the reality of what it means to serve God. So what does God do? He allows us to experience difficulties, trials, Adversity, not for the purpose of destroying us, but for the purpose of stretching and developing our faith. You know, when you look at the scriptures, it's very interesting. I've been, I've been just kind of following Jesus and how he, he literally caused his disciples to grow in their faith. And, you know, the way Jesus uh, discipled, it's very interesting. Modern um, teachers today and trainers have, have literally seen this pattern and they've adopted it. Like, in other words, right, what did Jesus do? He said, watch what I do. Come and follow me. Just watch. Come and follow me. Then what happens next? Jesus says, partner with me. Do it with me. Then after a while, he says, you do it and I'll watch. And then later on, it's like, you do it, teach someone else. So the way that works is we see this in the ministry of Jesus Christ. So Jesus begins to develop the faith of his followers. In technical terms, it start off with what? Um, behavior scientists call an educationalist observational learning. Watch. Just watch. And then an active learning. Do. Participate. Engage in the in the process. So what happens is Jesus takes his disciples into a storm. Now, how many want to have perfect faith? All right. Oh, yeah, I want to have perfect faith. Faith that moves mountains. Faith that can heal. Faith that can do miracles. I want that kind of faith. If you want to have perfect faith, you've got to go through a perfect storm. There's no other way around it. So Jesus takes his disciples into a storm. And the account that I'm referring to is not our text. It starts off in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. When evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up, high waves breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Faith, right? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? Wow. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Very interesting. So they go into this storm. And while they're in the storm, they panic. And they, they have no sense that they're going to be okay. And so when Jesus stands up and he says, "Peace, be still," and he calms the storm, he looks at them and he rebukes them and he says, like, "Don't you have any faith? Why are you anxious?" Wow. In other words, do you recognize that this was a test? This was a test, and unfortunately, the disciples did not pass the test. And before you can be promoted, you've got to pass the test. You can do the test, and then what ends up happening is if you fail the test, then you will have to do it again. Right? In the natural, you're going to have to do it again. But I, want to, I don't want to have to write the test. I just want to be promoted. Well, good luck. That's not going to happen. And the same is true in the economy of the kingdom of God. If you want to be promoted, you have to pass the test. If you keep failing the test, you're going to have to do it again and again until eventually you pass the test. So sometimes we wonder, why is it the doors aren't opening? Why is it that I'm not being promoted? Why is it that God isn't, you know, shifting me into these prophetic words that he's spoken to me about my life? It's because we've not embraced the testing and cooperated with what he's doing and allow it to change us and to learn the lessons that are critical in order to be advanced. So what happens is the disciples fail the test. But guess what? Jesus says, that's all right. You can write it again. So here we are in Mark chapter 6. Notice in verse 45, immediately after this, after what? Immediately after that Jesus had sent the apostles out, they'd healed the sick, they cast out demons, they preached the gospel of the kingdom, they came back, they told Jesus everything that they had done, and then here they are with people And thousands and thousands of people. And Jesus says, oh, you know what? I I recognize you're right. Your assessment is correct, Andrew. There are so many people here that have need of food. So we need to do something about this. Now, remember, there's 5,000 men. That's not counting the women and the children. So the apostles, the disciples responded and said, well, that's great, Jesus. But we would have to get a job and work for months in order to save up enough money to be able to buy food for this lot. So Jesus looks at him, and he says, you give them something to eat. He didn't say, don't worry about it, guys, I've got it covered. He says, you give them something to eat. And Jesus, where are we going to get enough resources to be able to meet this need? So Jesus takes bread and the fish, he, you know, how many, what do you have? want no, five loaves of bread, two fish. He lifts it up, he blesses it, and then he has the disciples distribute it and it supernaturally multiplies. Not only is there enough to feed 5,000 pl- men plus women and children, there's 12 baskets left over. What an amazing miracle. And so then Jesus begins... After after this great experience of these multitudes being fed, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he tells them to get into the boat. Now the interesting thing is he is not going to join them in the boat. He's going to go up onto the mountain and pray while they are in the boat. Unlike the last time where he was with them in the boat, this time Jesus is The one translation says, insisting they get in the boat. Another translation says, and Jesus made them get in the boat. It's a very strong word in the Greek. It means he was forcing them, he was compelling them, he was constraining them, get in the boat. So evidently there's a level of resistance here. The disciples are not wanting to cooperate and get into the boat. Jesus saying, get in the boat. And Peter's like, I don't think so, Jesus. The last time we were in a boat, it didn't go too well. And um, we really don't want to get in the boat. And Jesus, maybe they knew that Jesus wasn't going to get into the boat at this time. We don't know. But the Bible says that Jesus had to convince them. Jesus had to compel them to get into the boat. He insisted, get in the boat. Oh, Lord, we don't want to get in the boat. Get in the boat. Lord, we really don't like boats. We're, You know, we fished a long time, and, and you know, we, that, that last time, that was, just, that was just over the top. That was too much. Get in the boat. And so they get into the boat. And the Bible says that Jesus goes up onto the mountain, and he's up there praying by himself. And what takes place is the boat is now in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the sea. And he's alone on the land. He sees them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Interestingly, the Bible says it was when evening had come. According to John chapter 6, verse 17, in the parallel account, it was now dark. It was, was, there was darkness that had set in. Most scholars believe... That it was approximately 9 p.m. But yet, here's Jesus on the land. They are halfway across the lake, guys. Do you know what? The, the, the um, actual uh, distance across that lake was 7 miles or just over 11 kilometers. So there they are in the middle of the dark, halfway across, in a storm. And yet Jesus sees them. I don't think he had night vision goggles on. (laughs) Jesus sees them. Supernaturally, Jesus is aware of what they're going through. And what does he do? Jesus approaches them walking in the water in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a storm... In the middle of the lake. In fact, the Bible tells us that he did not come immediately, but he waited until the fourth watch of the night. So if he saw them at 9 o'clock going through the storm, panicking, Jesus didn't come to them until the fourth watch of the night, which was 3 o'clock in the morning. Wow! Jesus, where are you? Six hours later, he shows up just calmly walking on the water in the midst of the storm. And the Bible says that he would have walked past them. He would have have just walked right by them. And the interesting thing is, here's Jesus, right, in the midst of this. They are bogged beside themselves. They're panic-stricken. And Jesus is just like, hey, walking by, right? And... Then they're like, oh my God, it's a ghost. And at that point, they call out to Jesus. And he says, he talked with them. And this is what he said. Be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. Wow. Be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. They're in the midst of the storm. They are not handling the situation very well. They are reacting in fear, not in faith. They're not exercising authority. They didn't replicate what Jesus did in the first storm. Hey, remember Jesus stood up and said, peace, be still. Why don't we give that a go? They didn't do that. They're just literally beside themselves. They're panicking. And so at this point, Jesus looks at them and he says, cheer up. He's saying, don't be afraid. It's all good. This is too easy. In fact, the Greek says this Are you ready? Be of good cheer. Ego ami. Now, what does ego me mean? It means I am. He didn't say. I am here, it is I. In the Greek, he said, I am. If you go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when God revealed himself to Moses, and Moses said, Lord, when I go to deliver the people, they're going to say, which God is this? What God has sent you? Who, who has authorized you to come and deliver us from slavery and The Lord said to Moses, Moses, you tell them I am who I am. You tell them, we say Yahweh, the tetragrammaton, and we literally speak of the fact that that it's, it literally means I am, or it can also mean I will be who I will be. I am who I am. So you just fill in the blank, anything you need me to be. I am the bread of life. I am the healer. I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the good shepherd. Whatever you need me to be, I am. So in the midst of this storm, Jesus stands up and he says, Hey guys, you did not see a ghost. You saw I am. You're looking at I am. You're looking at God in the flesh. You're looking at the one who was sent from the Father. The one who has absolute power, absolute authority. The one who is Lord over the storms. The one that can do anything. Here I am. I'm right with you. So don't be afraid. And I want to just say to us today, no matter what you're going through in life, if you've been going through some storms, and what is a storm? A storm is when you're sailing in its particular destination and something uh, uh, happens that is unpredictable, something that you did not anticipate. It just occurs. It maybe blindsides you. It just happens. And it's nothing that you did to, to literally precipitate it, but it was something that just came against you. I'm not talking about, you know, when we go through trials and tribulations because we decided to disobey God. We're living in rebellion to God. We're not obeying his word. We're doing things contrary to the truth of the gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. That is reaping what you're sowing. But what we're dealing with here is circumstances and trials that you did nothing to ferment. You did nothing to bring that upon yourself. But in the midst of that, you recognize that the God of the storm is with you. I am is with you, and he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. And you may not have faith, and you might have lost your way, but God is saying, I'm still there, and I'm with you. There comes a point where we have to grow in our faith. You see, after everything was said and done, and Jesus gets into the boat, and the Bible says as soon as he steps into the boat, guess what happens? This time he didn't even say peace be still. The Bible says he steps into the boat and the wind ceases. Wow. Just steps into the boat. Isn't that amazing? Come on now. Sometimes all we need is the presence of God. All we need is the presence of Jesus. Just to step into our boat. That's all we need. And everything is calmed. There are times when we're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen. And then we just begin to worship and we just begin to, and the presence of Jesus shows up. He steps into the boat and calms everything. Oh, so good. So what ends up happening, though, is Jesus is not elated with their response. Verse 52, let's look at verses, let's look at the verses here again. Jesus actually rebukes them. He says, They were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, verse 51, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. They had not understood about the loaves. So what does faith, or what does bread have to do with faith? You know, it's not like Jesus was saying, you know, you forgot to pack a lunch. You remember that one time where he says, beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees on the Sadducees. And they were talking among themselves and they're saying, well, is it because we, we forgot to pack a lunch? And, and Jesus was not talking about these things. He said, no, 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 I'm talking about spiritual things here. And so what's happening is Jesus said, there's something that I've been trying to teach you Uh, Remember when I multiplied the fish and the loaves, 5,000 men plus women and children, 12 baskets left over? Well, I want you to remember that because there was a very important lesson that I was trying to teach you. See, the disciples had witnessed the hand of the Lord intervening in their lives on many occasions, manifesting divine power and provision, yet here they are now, panic-stricken, crying out to the Lord. Jesus walks up in the water, steps into the boat, calms everything, and then he rebukes them. And he says, listen to this, think about this, they're greatly amazed, they're marveling, and Jesus is not impressed. Why? Because it was reflective, not of a heart of faith, but of a heart of unbelief, When God does miracles, we want to say, praise you, Jesus, for doing miracles. But we don't want to be living from a perspective of, oh, my, I can't believe God actually kept his word. God actually fulfilled his promises. The Lord did what he said he would do. Wow. If someone says to me, wow, you actually did what you said you would do. I would get insulted. You're questioning my character and my integrity. Of course I'm going to do what I said I would do. That's the right thing. And God looks at it in the same way. Of course I'm going to do these things. Why are you blown away? Why are you flabbergasted? Why are you gobsmacked? That's a good Australian word. By what? It's happened here. I am, this is normal. The, the, the supernatural is natural to me. I'm faithful. I'll answer you. I'll do what I said I would do. But you got to believe. you got to believe. Jesus chides them for their lack of trust. And he points to the occasions when he had multiplied the loaves to feed the multitudes. They considered not the miracle of the loaves. In other words, they did not remember or call to mind the power which Jesus had shown in feeding the 5,000 by that miracle. And that having done that then, he had power to save them from the storm now. In other words, guys, he was saying that each encounter with the power of God, with the miraculous power and provision of the Lord, is meant to produce in us an attitude of faith and trust that God will be with us and deliver us during the next test of our faith. Now, listen, I did not say if we are tested in our faith. I said during the next test because there will always be a test because we're always needing to be promoted. So if we want to experience All that God has for us, our faith has to become vibrant and alive. It has to become like that mustard seed that is cultivated, that is watered. And as it continues to grow and to expand, then what takes place, it becomes bigger and it becomes stronger and it eventually even bears fruit. So when you, if you're going through something, as some of you, it may be the most difficult testing of your life. Or perhaps you've been through something in the past. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Understand and recognize that if it's not something you brought upon yourself, it's not something that you can fix. If it's out of your hands, out of your control, that the Father is saying, through this storm, I'm going to reveal my power. Through this storm, I'm going to show you what you can stand up in the authority that I've given you, and you can exercise dominion over this storm so he sometimes puts us in the boat he makes us get in the boat he forces us to get in the boat he says get in the boat and we don't like to get in the boat and he's saying get in the boat because I've got a purpose and a plan and you're going into the storm well he doesn't always tell us they didn't know a storm was coming all they knew is they had to get into the boat Frankly, if God told us everything that was going to happen in our lives, we'd never sign up to be his follower. But the reality is that we come to that point where we recognize that I don't matter. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the the future holds. But I know who holds the future. And, And I recognize that God is with me and God will never leave me. And if I will trust in him and if I will allow my faith to grow and I will learn from the testing process that will enable me to grow and to become stronger, that he'll be able to promote me and so that in my next testing, I'll be able to overcome. The next time, I'll be even stronger. And the next occasion... I'll be more confident and I'll be able to move ahead and I'll be able to cut off a giant's head because the same God that was with me that delivered me from the lion and the bear and he said it will deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. How many know who I'm talking about here right now? I'm talking about David. He said, you know, yeah, when I was a young lad, and here I am, there's a bear. And he said, you know, the anointing of God came upon me. The power of God, I trusted God, tore that bear apart with my hands. Then that lion, same thing. And he said, "Uh, who is this giant? Everyone's afraid of this giant. Everyone's terrified by Goliath. He said, but he said, he's no different. He said, God's been preparing me. God's been working in me. God's been developing my faith. And he's brought me to such a time as this. Because now this giant, he said, he's going down. There's not going to be any problem here. it's not any it's not difficult the Lord is with me the same God that is I am is that was with me in the past is with me now and I'm going to be able to overcome and destroy this giant the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine you know I've just looking at the story of the Red Sea crossing this week And as I began to reflect on that whole story, you know, how God brought them out of Egypt. He didn't take them out overnight. It was a long process. Ten plagues. Great resistance from the enemy. God could have wiped Pharaoh out in a nanosecond if he wanted to. God could have just set them free like that. But why did God allow Pharaoh's heart to become hardened? Because he was testing and developing the faith of his people as well. There was a purpose. And eventually the people came to the point where they saw God's hand of victory. They saw God answer. And then by the 10th plague, when they were released and they began to leave Egypt... The Lord speaks to Moses in the beginning of the 14th chapter of Exodus. And he tells Moses to take the children of Israel to a specific place and to stay there. And what he was doing is he was setting up Pharaoh. In the natural, it was the dumbest thing to do. In the natural, it was the worst military strategy ever. God says, bring the children of Israel here, park them here, stay here. Pharaoh is going to see you guys where you are, and he's going to say, oh, they're vulnerable. They're exposed. They must have, you know, become afraid. And and now is the optimal time to attack them. If we attack them, now we'll surely destroy them. But God says, Pharaoh has no idea that he's walking into my trap. Hallelujah. Pharaoh is walking into my trap. This is a setup. And as Pharaoh sends out his army and then God opens up the Red Sea and the children of Israel pass through the Red Sea literally millions of them, and they go to the other side. And as the Pharaoh and his, his army begins to, to go through the Red Sea, he starts uh, literally warping and twisting their wheels on their chariots, causing the horses to fall. And then once the children of Israel get through to the other side, God says to Moses, okay, Moses, stretch forth your hand, and the water's going to come crashing down and destroys every single one of them that entered into the Red Sea. Not one of them survived, is what the Bible says. It was a total setup. God knew exactly what he was doing. But you know, after the event, the fifteenth chapter of Exodus says that the people with Moses and Aaron they sang a song. Exodus 15, looking at the first five verses, I will sing to the Lord. He's triumphed gloriously, the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him. My father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. Come on now. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army is cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. This is a song that they sang. And again, it's amazing. Wow, thank God, praise God. He delivered me, He answered me. But remember, before they passed through the Red Sea, they were in doubt and unbelief and fear. They said to Moses, Moses, did you take us out of Egypt so that we could be buried here in the wilderness? Is there not enough graves in Egypt? Is that why you brought us out here, Moses? Moses was like, oh, Lord, give me a break. I mean, you want a job? Somebody want a job? Somebody want to take, you know? I mean, think about that. And, and then God says, tell them to shut up. No, he didn't. He said, tell them to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That God, in spite of the grumbling, the murmuring, how many love to be around negative complaining people? Woohoo, right? I just book all my appointments, all my coffee appointments. Yeah, come on. I want to get together with you because you're so negative. Oh, you just build me up, right? I mean, no, seriously, who, who likes to be around people like that? Nobody. But sometimes that's who we are, and that's the way we act and think. We don't have faith. We don't trust God. We don't speak faith in the circumstance and the situation that we're going through. I don't know why God's let me go through this. Well, I told you why today. First of all, if it was not because of a foolish choice you made, a decision to go against the Word of God, then it's because you're being tested so that your faith will develop and become stronger. If it is the consequence of a wrong choice that you've made, guess what? There's mercy. Come to Jesus, repent, confess it, tell him how stupid you were. All right. Ask him to deliver you from the spirit of stupidity. Right. Seriously, repent, but he'll forgive you, he'll set you free, and he'll help you. But the reality is, you're going through a testing. What is God saying? God is saying, I want you to worship me on the right side. They worship God on the on the right side. No, they worship God on the wrong side. They had the right song, but they had it on the wrong side. It's so easy to worship God after He's delivered us, but the Bible says by faith. What do we do? By faith. Faith sees those things that are not as if it was. Faith sees what is invisible. Faith sees what's happening. And faith says, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. It doesn't matter what's happening right now. It doesn't matter what my circumstance looks like. God's got a plan. Can you trust Him that no matter what is happening here, it's out of your control? It's out of your control. God's still got a plan. God still has a plan. But through it, you've got to learn to trust him. You've got to learn to trust him.